All right, so it's 2 o'clock, and we might as well start. Um, thank you all for coming. appreciate that. Um, we're going to go ahead, and I just want to start with prayer. Um, but I'm gonna, I'll get to the prayer in a second. What I kind of want to do is start a song that I think is one of the first songs that came to mind when uh, I realized or it was announced that we're going to do the Spirit-Filled People of God as a conference. And uh, Holy Spirit is such a... So much more than an important topic, you know. Um, the Holy Spirit is, is God, as we've learned up here, and um, have been reminded of. And um, I think it's fascinating. Uh, this, this is the first time in 75 years that it's been the primary focus. Nice. Um, and I think that's awesome that we get to be a part of that wave that begins to crash in the harbor up here. Um, so I want to start with this. This song, and uh, if you don't know it, that's okay. Just take this time as a kind of moment of uh, meditation. Um, if you do, please feel free to, to sing with, um, and then we'll read a text, pray, and then we'll get going. Yeah. 
Father God, I just want to say what doesn't need to be said. I want to say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Language and words are a feeble human attempt to tear back modernity, tear back sight. And believe by faith what you've, you've said from the very beginning. That your spirit would be among us. Would drive us and direct us and empower us and lead us and embolden our steps. The wind behind ourselves. So Father, we, we do. We welcome you here. We welcome Lord Jesus. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Would you do through me, would you pour through me a gift of preaching? And Father, would you do with all of us here what you did with Lydia by the river and open up our hearts and minds, our understanding, so that whatever is said, whatever is communicated, Father, would uh, allow someone to get what they need today from your word, from this time. I lift this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. So... 
when Mike asked me to be a part of the lectureship this year, um, actually, I made that sound very familiar. I got a letter from Pepperdine with Mike's signature on it, so it's not like me and Mike are buddies, but I know him, he knows me, anyways. Um, real story is, I get this letter, they say, submit something for the theme, and, uh, and, I, and I did, and, and typically in times past, like the lectureship has always said, we want the, the, the keynotes to really talk about the main theme, and you guys just kind of do other stuff, they even sort of encouraged us not to, not to really talk about the theme too much if, if, uh, um, if you're not part of the keynotes, and uh, so I said, okay, so I crafted my lesson and put it together, and I came up with a title that was in the book, um, Get a Haircut and Get a Real Job, and uh, How to Turn Your Workplace into Sacred Space. And I thought, well, that, you know, that, that works. I like that. And I sent it off. He, and then he, and then he emails me back. He goes, Matt, I want you to talk about something uh, maybe with the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, well, okay, that's new. And um, I was supposed to craft this new title and send it back. And... Um, by the time I actually got around to doing that, I, I never did, and they already published the old title. But the crazy thing about it is, um, I didn't really, I wouldn't change the contents of my message. I really wouldn't change the contents of my message. Uh, the, the new title would have been "What the Holy Spirit is Doing at the Local Hardware Store." That, that's, that's what I've been. Uh, I would have, I would have talked about it and how I described it, um, and, and the reason for that. It's because I, for the last couple of years, um, a year and three quarters, um, had taken a job at the local hardware store, hardware store, Orchard Hardware and Supply. In fact, my, my boss and one of my coworkers are here from, um, from Orchard Hardware, and I just want to thank them for showing up and being my friends and uh, uh, also great in, um, coworkers and, um, and uh, great work. So it was, it's been wonderful. Um, and so I, uh, I wanted to just talk about a dream, because every minister that I've talked to, uh, at least the ones built like me, have always thought about what would it be like if we went and got out of the office and got a chance to just go be a regular person again, right? When we weren't surrounded by layers and layers and layers of Christian, which I think is awesome. I love Christians. I love my people. I love my church. But I also want to be Matt, not pastor. I also want to be just... A Christ follower and what would it be like if I got a chance to go back to work and just be me and just be a follower of Christ what would it look like how would that that exchange and on top of that I got to do the sort of job that I was really looking for which was something physical and something I can measure at the end of the day because if you don't know already working with people uh, is not always so measurable uh, I remember when I first started that was my that was my challenge was Okay, I know when I've mowed the lawn because there's a line in the grass. <laughs> How in the world do I know I'm making any progress? Now, I've come to realize that there are some matrix uh, and that you can, you can measure by in, in a real way. But I also have to tell you, it has been so therapeutic to be responsible for taking a box and moving it where it wasn't. <laughs> Put it over here. I was done. I could go home, and it was done. So yes. that was, it's been a great, great time. But something strange happened to me. Um, maybe not strange, I don't know. Something unique happened uh, in my experience is that when I had the chance to go to work at Orchard, believe it or not, regular old Matt became a pastor again. And uh, 
I, I kind of tell people I became the pastor of Orchard Harbor. Um, and I, that's sort of, sort of jokingly. Uh, um, Dave uh, Taylor, one of our assistant uh, managers, would uh, take new hires around the church, or around the church building, uh, around my church building, uh, around Orchard Hardware, and he would come to my desk and say, this is the chapel, this is where Pastor Matt is. And I would have uh, great conversations with my coworkers uh, and uh, semi-counseling sessions with some, and it was just a phenomenal experience. And what I'd like to do is just share with you how my workplace became sacred space. Um, and I, I was gonna do a fancy PowerPoint, but I decided to write some stuff on the board. Um, and if it's meaningful for you, you can take it with you. Um, and I guess that's the first place I want to begin is, is with meaning. Because um, I, won't, I, I won't stand up here and tell you that I always felt, man, like I am where I'm supposed to be. As much as I love Orchard, as much as I love my job, I can't tell you that everything I was doing there was like, man, I went to school for this and this is what I'm doing. Um, that really, um, that really sat home with me one day. Uh, I, went, I was up at the preview for the lectureship and I'm surrounded by this beauty at, at, uh, at uh, Malibu and I'm talking to literal scholars and theologians in our movement and I'm very impressed by the food because it's beautiful, not just hamburgers and it's just wonderful. And I set an alarm on my phone because the next day that I wanted to know where was, where was it going to be the next day? Because um, this is where I was at and I'm not kidding you, the next day when it went off, I was literally in about four feet of trash that I was responsible to sort through and put into the, the compactor at work. I, I became the, um, the uh, uh, receiving specialist at Orchard, which means I was the guy that touched every single item that came in the store and uh, with forklifts and boxes and put it away and tried to organize. Not alone, obviously, it was the teamwork, but that was kind of my job. And one of my jobs was also to be the bearer of the key for the trash compact because you can't just throw stuff away. Um, you, you have to sort through it. You have to take out things that aren't supposed to be in there. And one of my friends at work um, used to love to leave his Red Bulls uh, because you're not allowed to throw away uh, power aid, power drinks in the trash can. So he, he, he relentlessly left like monsters and things in the trash that um, I, I think it was the way to see if I was actually doing my job and sorting through the trash. Not sure, but that was, that was sort of one of the things I, I had to do. And I, I will be honest straight up front, this is not Mother Teresa, I'm not Mother Teresa, and I, I didn't like the stench or the, I didn't like that sometimes. And I was finishing up my masters also at the same time, and I'm thinking, what am I doing? Throwing away, I'm, you know, I, what am I doing? And one of the things that, that really began to mean so much more to me, I talked about it and preached about it before, was that meaning is something that we bring to work. Meaning is not something that we derive from work. How revolutionary that concept is for sustaining you and really bringing in perspective what everything's about, right? Um, and and I, have to, I have to tell you that, that that's not the message we send people. The message we send people through our consumerism, through, through all sorts of, through academic endeavors, through, through great ideas, is that if you go do this, you're doing something meaningful and you're going to change the world. And this is the message we get told all the time, as if our meaning is wrapped up in, in the things that we get to participate in. 
You know the number one demographic for suicide? Our older white males. Because they have wrapped up their meaning in their jobs. And when they retire, they don't just lose hours, they lose who they are. Meaning, as a follower of Christ, does not come from the outside. That's right. Meaning comes from God. And this is what's so unique about Christianity. Now, there are three views where meaning can come from. <clears throat> our, our, our consumeristic culture says meaning comes from engaging their narratives and their things and doing what they want and buying their their items and uh, sometimes uh, other internal meaning calculators are well okay we know it's not out there so we'll turn in and we'll look inside to find meaning um, and we'll do the math on the inside and once I know myself then I'll be able to define meaning and and that's that's definitely a step in the right direction but the problem with that of course is if sometimes you look in and you do the math sometimes you don't like what you see Sometimes the math doesn't add up. Sometimes you're a big old jerk, right? And sometimes you're not living the way you want or you should or even according to your own, your own understanding of what's important. And, and Christianity says, believe it or not, your confidence, your self-esteem doesn't come from these things. You are a child of Ironically, or not so much, guess where, guess how the Bible describes our sonship. Galatians chapter 4 and 5. God spend, sends his spirit into our hearts, crying, what? Abba, Father. Right? The spirit of God. He, he meets us even here at work. Because our identity <coughs> is, is essential to our meaning and our purpose. And it changes, it changes, it really changes everything. That's why I wanted to start with that, that song because, we're, we're, and, 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 and at another level, I don't want to start with that song because I, I want to say, I think the Holy Spirit would also like another version of that song. I think the Holy Spirit says, yeah, invite me into your worship. But I, I'm, I guarantee you, I think the Spirit would also say, I think the Spirit would say, you are welcome to welcome me into your workplace. I'm not just at church. Yes, invite me in at church. I should be there. But, but invite me to your workplace. Invite me to your life. Invite me to your neighborhood. I'm everywhere. There, this idea that there's somehow sacred space and secular space is, a, is an invention of modernity. It's not real. It's, it's, it's a way we have allowed to do the math so we can act like jerks in one area and not in the other. Because if I don't have to be a Christian at work, then, well, then I get to steal and cheat and be ruthless, right? So I think the Spirit of God is saying, yeah, thanks for the invite, but let me invite you to take me where you are. Another thing I learned at work is to stay frosty. Anybody know... Um, what, what does it mean to stay frosty? You ever heard that term before? You gotta stay frosty. Right? It means to stay, uh, it means to stay um, at peak performance. Be ready at any moment. Let's stay frosty. Let's, let's, let's always be ready. 
Um, and I'll be also honest to say that I wasn't always ready emotionally, physically, spiritually to go to work. And I failed as many times as I succeeded as well. Uh, this is not a story of Matt being, again, Mother Teresa at work or Jesus at work. This is a story of a guy trying to be uh, a follower of Christ, even, even in the workplace. And, but, but what I had to remind myself is not only am, am I the uh, son of God, not only is, am I bringing meaning to throwing away uh, styrofoam cups, um, <laughs> I, also, I also have to be mindful of the fact that every one of the people around me at that place, people I love, the people that annoyed me, the people that, that every one of them were precious to God. Every single one of them were important. Every single one of them, God desperately is, no, God is already in their life. And I, it's my job to, 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 to engage them and to be involved with them in some fashion. And you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I have found, um, and this is, again, I think this is just professional clergy um, arrogance at one level, to assume that I'm going to show up and, and I'll be the one that brings God into the story. As if God isn't already there. As if God isn't already in those people's narratives. As if God is waiting for Matt Raines to do something so he can show up in a big way. Give me a break. It, it wouldn't be wise to rely on me to get that done. And so don't, I, I, I tried intentionally, this is what it meant for me to be frosty, to be intentional about the fact that the people I'm seeing around me that, that God desperately loves, that he's already done everything he's done for me, he's already done for them, and he's waiting for them to know about it, perhaps. Or, 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 or maybe I need to hear from them uh, about, about what life is really all about. And entering as a learner, not as the expert. Not as the expert. And, uh, and that's what it meant to be frosty in that place. It meant... I am a son of God, so even if I'm doing something I think is beneath me, there's great meaning in it. And even, even around me, I, I'm, not, I'm not the guy who's got all the answers. I, I'm the guy who knows the guy who's got all the answers, right? Yeah. That, that's about it. You know? And, um, and so I, I, think, I think this language is, is not new. Um, this is missional living 101. This is incarnational living 101. And um, this is, um, if you go to become a missionary, they go through this stuff all the time. Don't assume you are above and you're the answer. You go in as a learner and as a conduit of God's love. You don't go in uh, assuming you're going to fix them because you're smarter and wiser and greater and better. Uh, you know, that's just not the way it works. You go in and you love them on the, uh, shoulder to shoulder. Um, so what I want to fill all the rest of our time with is not more big picture idea because that's where we get a lot of our stuff. I want to share with you some handles that I that I grabbed onto that allowed me to be um, uh, connect and really I think try to live intentionally in this community. And the, I actually borrowed this from Orchard's uh, organizational um, leadership. Uh, they teach people as customer service representatives as, as, as neighbors in our store to care. Um, I think I've actually kind of gone uh, to a different model, but this is sort of behind most of it. Um, and it means to connect, assess, recommend, and encourage care. Right? When someone comes in the store, you have to connect with them. Uh, you assess what they need. You recommend something. And you encourage them to buy. And I thought, as a great, you know, uh, I'm a sermonizer too, right? I'm thinking, 
that'll preach, right? That that that's good. You know, there's wisdom in that, and and especially for people like me, like I love people. I don't always know how to start, how to connect with them. Uh, I remember one of the most uh, one of the best things I ever learned was from a guy selling Amway. Um, he said, I always follow this thing called form. Talk about family, occupation, recreation, and money. Now, I changed the last one to, to mission, but it helps me to, to engage people because when I go up to talk to them, I'm like, blank, like, oh, hi, you know? What do you do, you know? Um, and so these, these little tools, you know, for introverts, they're thinking, what, really, you know? For, uh, or for extroverts, they're like, I do this naturally. For introverts, it's for other people who, um, like me, who have been in a Christian bubble my whole life and on that grass, how do I connect with these people in a way that's authentic to who I am and, and corresponds to the way I want to be? Not this guy with a chip on his shoulder and high and mighty, but, but really as a co-journer in this thing called life. And, and so these are, these are some of the things I, uh, I, uh, I want to talk about. And they're not techniques, they're just, I want to tell you some stories that, that connect to each of these and hopefully uh, we, we, can, we can discern what we need. And, um, and again, this, this, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. Um, because connection, I think, has a lot to do with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you guys remember um, when Paul uh, received the Macedonian call. He has a dream. And there's a man in Macedonia beckoning him to come. And yet, as the story unfolds, I believe it was Acts 10, he uh, ends up over there, or actually it's later in Acts 10. Um, he, he goes and he finds that the man from Macedonia is actually a woman named Lydia by a river um, and, and, and the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit um, directed him that way and what's cool about it it's just filled with all the same amount of ambiguity that it is for me right it's not like Paul said okay his name will be Bill he'll be at the store that's not how it worked. It didn't even turn out to be a man, right? It, it, it turned out, and this is the sense that Paul had, I think, sometimes. I think the Holy Spirit is giving you, like, GPS coordinates. It doesn't work that way, right? He, he, I mean, please, I would, I, I, it's not that I don't need that. I would love that. But that's just not how the Spirit seems to work in the, in the lives of people. It's like, try this, no, go the other direction. And, um, and that's kind of how it worked for me. I remember we were... Uh, it was late one night and I was talking about how I wanted to get to know people at my work better. I really wanted to try to get to know this community. Um, and, and, and Cindy, you probably, you probably don't even know this, this part of the story, but I wanted to get to know you uh, better. We'd have those great conversations for 15, 20 minutes and, and passing, but with the responsibilities at the store, it's not like you can just sit down and, and talk, right? So. I'm thinking, how in the world am I ever going to get some time with Sadie just to, just to talk with her, you know? And I, I remember, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray about this, and I'm not kidding. The next day, I'm unloading a truck, and I, I lift it out of the, uh, of the truck. And, it, and so boxes can look short even though they're long when you're looking at them, you know. And uh, I picked it up, I turned it around, and I ran the most expensive table that we sell, remember that? The most expensive table that we sell at Orchard into the side of the building. Boom! First thing I broke the whole time I was there, and I put, I touched everything that went into that store. Um, and I was just like, I cannot believe this, right? And, uh, and I, I, I'll be honest with you, it came across my thing, I was like, you know what? I don't think the camera saw me. 
You could probably just pass this off as, uh, you know, broken on delivery. And then my conscience got the best of me. And so I went and told Cindy. So I kind of broke this table. And yeah, she was like, oh. And I'm thinking, uh oh. What? And she's like, you know, if, if you break something that's over 100 bucks, you have to get drug tested. And I'm like, are you kidding? I don't do drugs. She goes, I know. But what's fascinating about this uh, is the man in Macedonia became Cindy Lipper for me, right? Uh, guess who had to take me to get drug tested? Guess who had to spend three hours with me, uh, basically, the next day? Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? So, and I was like, actually, I didn't even recognize the prayer had been answered at the time because I was sort of kind of like kicking myself for being the guy that broke the, cape, the table. But we had a great conversation, did we not? I mean, we shared our stories and journey, and it was amazing. Um, and, and, You don't connect with data. You connect through narratives. Have you ever noticed that the movies you hate the worst are the ones that haven't developed the characters? Mm -hmm. Right? You just don't care about the characters. Why? Because you don't know their story. But when you do know their story, you're thinking, well, the movie line wasn't that great, but I really cared that Solo died, you know? And and that's how it is with life. We, we spin, we walk back to these people, and all we know them as employee X or Rachel, who's always at this counter, or Bill over here, and we don't get to know their stories. And the, when you when connection is not, I see you, you see me, it's, I know who Judy is. I know her story. I, I, and I can tell you right now, I, I know just about everyone's story in that building. I don't know all of it, but I know just about everyone's story in that building. Um, because I asked, hey, what, who are, do you have family here? What do you, you know, and I, I'm sure some of them think, what's, what's wrong with this guy? He's acting, you know, asking way too many questions. But I did it anyways, and, and, and you know, remarkably, people are the expert on their own lives. And they love to talk about themselves, and they tell me their story. And I told them mine. And we connected. And you started caring about these people. It went from being, these are the people that were working together, that this is a family. These are my friends. These are the people whose story I know and I care about them and I feel like they care about me. Um, so connect and then assess. Um, and now this, I don't know, I think this comes natural to us as people, but I just don't think sometimes we, we stop to, to involve ourselves in the stories of people around us too much. Um, I think there is a atmosphere at the workplace that says you pay attention to what you're doing and what you're doing and keep your head down and get it done because anything outside of that gets a little sticky and you don't really want to get into the type of relationships where you are um, invested in another person's life because it, it can come back and haunt you. I think there's a general fear of people sometimes to invest in the people that are their co-workers. Um, but, but I, I think we have to honestly assess what, what, what takes place. And this happened for me, uh, sitting down with another coworker of mine. And since he's not here, I won't, I won't mention names. Um, uh, we're sitting down, and he, he was uh, he's a wonder, wonderful man and um, a friend of mine. 
and we sat down and it was one of those things, well, who, what do you do, what am I doing here, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a church planner, I'm trying to plant a church. And the next thing out of his mouth is, I'm gay. And I was like, okay, why are you, you know? At one level, I was like, why are you telling me this, you know? Um, at another level, I was like, oh, I hate that he felt like he needed to tell me that, you know? Um, because that was like, before you go any further, before you think you could be my friend, you need to know this about me. And it broke my heart. Yeah. I was like, what are you talking to me? And I didn't say this out loud, but I was like, you don't have to tell me that, you know? You can tell me that's an important part of your life, but you don't have to tell me that. And, um, and so it kind of got back around to what we was doing and why I was doing it. And I started talking about Epic and how, how what we're doing in Epic is trying to get people back into this story of restoration. That God is working all things to a, a beautiful conclusion where everything is made right. And that my job and Epic's job and people, Christian's job, are, are to help people get back connected with that big narrative. And he said there, he was talking, he said, so what is your faith back? And he goes, oh, my mom is, is Catholic. And, um, I just don't. Basically, he says, I'm not connected to that story anymore. And part of the whole spill of Epic is that um, when people live apart from that narrative, they feel that they they end up having to be God for themselves. They have to be the author and the actor in their own story. They have to create everything themselves. And um, I was telling him that, and he, he had a tear in his eye. I could tell it was resonating. Like the story of his upbringing had abandoned him because of his lifestyle choice. And I was just like, and I, and I, I uh, the gospel that I shared with him the rest of the time, I did everything in my power to make sure that I communicated that he was a part of the story that God was telling. I invited him to things. I, I, I. You know, I, I did my best to say, you know, the story of restoration includes all of us. All of us. It's not excluding you. It's not excluding me. It's everyone's story. That's why Jesus kept the company he did. It's everyone's story. And, um, and but, but that takes assessment. It takes a time to sit down and think, you know, why, why did he feel like he needed to tell me that he was gay the first thing after I told him who I was? You know, that tells me, it tells me that he'd been judged before by others who thought of him as a great person until they found out the big secret and then they distanced himself from them. And what a shame. What a shame. Um, so that, that assess. And there's, there's other assessments. I mean, just learn to listen for the, for, for the dilemma. Right? For, for, one, for one guy, it was disconnection from the story for another uh, it was a young man at the other at the Hawthorne store who, who I know had a family didn't have anything for Christmas so we got him some presents for Christmas and so just assess you know um, this is the difficult one honestly recommend right because who are you to tell me anything right it's 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 it's, it's hard because um, because Christianity has done nothing but recommend. We, we, we spend all of our time telling people what to do and how to do it and when they do it wrong. Trying to make up for the Spirit's work in the world, you know. Um, 
you know, this, we don't really trust the spirit to, to teach people and to draw people and to mold. And, and so we feel like we have to be out on the edge of that, making sure everyone knows what moral is and immoral is and right and wrong. And then they wonder why they can't see Jesus. They can only see a law, you know. Um, but this is why this makes it so difficult. But what I've learned is that it's an old phrase. It, you know, they don't care what you know until they know that you what? Care. If you can be real and know and, and, and communicate to them that you care about them, that what, what I found at, at, at Orchard anyways, and I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not ignorant of the fact that because I am a pastor and I spent those times that people also saw me as a pastor going in. This is not me pretending like that didn't have any bearing. I'm sure it did. But I gotta tell you, I didn't start day one recommending what anyone should do. In fact, I never, I, I really struggle with unasked for advice, right? Gets you in trouble big time. Um, but if you're around a person long enough, they kinda say, hey, what do you think about that? Yeah. And a couple of friends at work uh, that, that this came out just sort of naturally, a uh, guy that was with me when he first got there, he, he didn't last too long. Uh, he was a good guy, but just just didn't work work out too well. He'd married a, uh, a Christian woman, and uh, she had a son that was uh, questioning everything in faith. Um, and he'd grown up in faith, and um, uh, we, we started talking, and um, he's like, you know, just what do I do? And uh, I was able to tell them what... What, what happened in, in my story is that, you know, Christian kids get all the answers before they have all the questions. And um, that's very disorienting for people, right? Like, there's no discovery left. There's, it's just, it's just all this stuff. And, um, and, and then we get afraid as parents because we think they're making choices that we wouldn't make in regards to their, their faith tradition. And so we, 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 we have this such a strong personality about faith that, that uh, by the time they actually get a little, little bit of freedom, um, then, then their doubts become their plan instead of their beliefs. Um, I've seen that over and over again. And I'm, I'm definitely not a perfect parent, but I tried with my children to let them doubt. I've tried to let them doubt. Now, I still expect them to come to church, and we have great, honest conversations, but um, they're allowed to doubt in my house. They're allowed to figure out, I don't understand that. You know, um, they don't have the same uh, uh, views of morality that I do on a number of important subjects. They just, it doesn't even cross their mind. Um, and they're allowed to have those, those. They're allowed to work through those there. And you know what? They're even allowed to have them and leave my house with them. Because uh, one of the things that I, I've learned, I think, growing uh, up is that God can love them way more than I can. Yeah. And... Um, if, uh, if I ever get to a point where, where they have to believe in God because of me, then I've missed, right? Yeah. They need to believe in God because of their own convictions. And, and, and uh, the Christian community has done a really poor job of creating space for children's doubt, right? We do everything we can to keep them from that. And, and, um, and I think it's important to allow them to do that, direct them, and let them know. And so we were, I was able to kind of talk to them about this and... and um, it was really cool. I mean, really, really cool. That, and uh, another time, a gentleman who uh, um, uh, his son is getting divorced, and um, this guy, I, I love him to death. I, I mean, I love this guy to death. He, he came out to work with me in, in the warehouse, 
and uh, he, he was in aerospace for years, an engineer, brilliant guy, and he, he, he loved putting stuff away. I mean, that was his thing. And he, he was 70 around that age, and he did twice the amount of work that most of the people in there did, and he did it smartly. Like, um, you know, stocking, there's an art to stocking. People don't realize that there is, but he could stock, like, more product in less time than five people who had twice the stamina. It was just amazing. Um, but his son was getting a divorce, and they were from a strong uh, Catholic family, and you don't do that. And um, his, his daughter-in-law's parents were very influential in the church, and they, you definitely don't do that, you know? And it was just, we would unpack the, the truck, and I would listen, and we would, it was just a counseling session right there. Uh, at, at the dock in Orchard Hardware, and um, and once once they know you care, once you know that you're on the same journey with them, that you're not somehow better or above, um, once they realize you're co-journeying in, in life, um, it, it's amazing how much recommendation you can actually do, you know. But you have to tell them you have. They have to know you care. Uh, they have to know you care, and you have to actually care. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a fake thing. You have to love people. Yes. You have to love people. That's why you got to get grace. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> and then finally, encourage, right? Um, encourage, especially at the workplace, because the workplace, as it should be, is a place of performance. It has to be. Workplaces are not designed to do well if you don't perform. Right. Um, it's not evil or sinful to receive a lecture and write-ups when you mess up. That's how they have to work. Right? They have to work that way. If you don't make a good bed, you won't make any beds anymore. It's how they have to work. It doesn't make it easy. It's one of the reasons I don't, I don't you know, things you have to do as management is, is I look at that and think, wow, you know, that's tough. Because I know, I know at least in Cindy's case, she, she loves people, but she has to, she has to care about before. You have to care about performance. That's why it's so important as followers of believers in Christ, that we spend as much time encouraging one another um, and other people, no matter what. No matter what. Um, this idea that you can't, you can't to redirect people or, 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 or call them, you know, is somehow less graceful. No, you know, you have to, you have to build a good bed. You have to build a good car. You have to, you have to be a good customer service representative. And if you can't, then you can't work there. But it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you you fill that space with negativity. You love them, you encourage them, and, and I know a lot of my uh, a lot of my work recently with Orchard, even though I don't work there anymore, um, has been with um, uh, a friend uh, who um, well, let's just say. Um, well, how do I even say this? Uh, 
she was apologetic all the time at work too, and uh, she just struggled with relationships a lot. And um, eventually, she had to she had to leave, and um, it was just a matter of encouraging. I was the only thing I could do was encourage, over and over and over again, and um, it made a difference. It made a difference, I think. Um, and uh, so I, you know, you have to encourage people. To encourage people, I think it's it's under undervalued. So um, we're out of time. I think that's uh, two forty-five is when I'm supposed to stop, or is it three? Mine was an hour. Is an hour? Mine was. Oh, good. Are you sure? Yeah. Um, can you look at the app real quick and see what time? I don't know if I have to go to three or not. Um, I guess I can go till people start walking in. And um, so, anyways. Um, yeah, this, this, these are some of the things that I've learned at um, working, uh, working at Orchard Hardware. And just to let you know where I was at, the reason I went to work at Orchard uh, is because we kind of got down on our funding and we, uh, we also needed to have health care, uh, believe it or not. And uh, church planners don't get paid a lot. So I thought, you know, I will go and, and work uh, at Orchard Hardware. And I got great benefits there and was able to work in a place where I thought that um, where I thought that um, locals would be, right? The hardware stores where locals would be. And, um, and I thought it worked, and it worked well. Believe it or not, we've had two or three uh, people from, from Orchard come and give their testimony, right? Um, at, at Epic, I mean, preach to us and, and tell us their faith journey. Uh, I know Judy's come several times and um, others have come several times and even, uh, even my, uh, my thorn in the flesh at Orchard has come to Epic uh, a couple times. Uh, personalities that uh, I love and you know what the cool thing, the interesting thing about work is in the real world is that if people bug you at church you don't have to go next to them anymore. You just kind of, hey, keep going out the door. Um, at work you got to work with them all the time and, uh, and you know though even strong personalities once you learn their story just broken like the rest of us and um, it doesn't sometimes make it any less difficult but you understand you're able to create empathy and uh, and one of the most one of the strongest personalities I've ever met in my life and I don't say that accidentally uh, came to Epic one Sunday and I was playing Santa and he let me hold his little girl and play Aww. Santa you know, I, he will probably never come to church. Uh, he'll probably never call me again after I've left. But the fact that he showed up in such a vulnerable place, mm -hmm. was willing to go and do a little bit of life with me, and there was nothing in it for him. <coughs> that was a gift from him that, that I, I, I registered. And I was like, that's really cool. Um, I will say, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't convert anybody. And that's okay. I think, I think I was converted. I think I realized that um, I spend way too much time at church. I spend way too much time around people who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, right? But I don't know. I feel like I feel like the, the Christianity is this giant funnel, and we've tried to create this giant funnel where people will come to us, and. 
and uh, that's just not the language of scripture. It's not come to us, it's go to them. Doesn't the Bible say if you build it, they will come? <laughs> right, that's like the least biblical thing. It works because we're consumers around at some level, but I mean, what a difference it would make if if we'd stop singing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome to hear. And we started hearing the Holy Spirit say, no, 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 child, you are welcome here. I bring your faith to work, right? That's where we spend most of our time. So, last 10 minutes, if there are any questions, uh, you're, you're welcome to ask, and um, I will try to respond. Yeah? I, uh, it's not a question, I just had a similar experience uh, in my ministry. Uh, we had a, a, a woman who came and Actually, we, we let her family move in because they didn't have a place to live, but she, she had been our uh, housekeeper. She'd come mm-hmm. once every couple of weeks to help out because um, my wife is sick. Uh, but anyway, after a while, there was, like, there was a man out in the truck out in front of the house. There's a guy out in the truck. What's he doing out there? And, oh, that's my, that's my, my friend. He sh- he's shy. I said, well, he can come in. Oh, he's shy. And then later on, like a, a week later or something, there's, he's out on the track again. There's a guy out there just sitting there. Is, what's he waiting for? And then, well, you know, actually, um, he's, you know, he's, he's gay, but he knows you're a pastor. He, you wouldn't want him in your house. Mm-hmm. And I had to go out there and say, dude, his name was Tony. I said, Tony, you're welcome in my house. Yeah. Please come in. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, any friend of, of Sandra is a friend of my family, and so please come in. So just the idea that, you know, that somebody would get the, you know, the idea that, nope, we don't want you around here, you know. Yeah. It's just, that's not Jesus. No. So I, I relate to that. It seems like we've had a similar kind of grief about that. Yeah, totally. It happens more, you know, it happens to me all the time in the barber chair, right, because we're having these great, great, rich, robust conversations with my barber until they find out I'm a preacher, and then they spend the last 15 minutes apologizing for the language, and I'm like, I really want to know what happened when you went out the other night. You, know, you just continue to tell me that story, because it's really ridiculous that you feel like, you know, I'm a, I am a man as well, you know? Um, but, you know, it, it is, I think, um, and even in Protestantism, who's tried to get away from the high church clergy thing, we... Man, we have insider baseball so much that we we create our own clergy, and um, and we've you know we spend a lot of time uh, trying to change people when that's God's job. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. Anything else? Good stuff. Yes. So. It's gonna be a softball because it's not. <laughs> so, um, one of the things that kind of helped me with you know just in terms of looking at the workplace as a mission field, you know, essentially. Um, is just recognizing that God is everywhere and that no matter where you go, God is always present with you and there's always opportunity. And once you start looking for those opportunities and you start listening to those stories and you start listening for that. Um, I was just working the other day and I um, there was a lady, she she was a Buddhist and I was studying for a school district and she, um, we were just sitting at the lunch table because we both have the same lunch break and she was like telling me about Buddhism and her background and I didn't like try to proselyte, I didn't try to like evangelize her. I just said, she said, well, you know, the Bible's just so confusing, you know, and I, I don't understand it. And I said, well, you know, um, I, I totally understand that, you know, really empathize, you know, with them. 
But I told her, I said, you know, I think that, and I said, you know, there's something called the story that was written, um, and it's kind of the Bible in, in more of a novel form, and I said, you know, I've, I've recommended it to several people just to, like, take a look at, and she was like, yeah, and she's like, where do I get it? And so you just don't know. God's already working in these people's lives, and you're just, like, you're just the person who's kind of created an encounter. You're not, like, God's already there, and he's already working. And if you know that, then it's not so much of a challenge to talk to people and to have those kind of connections with people. And, you know, it, it, your passion has to be there, too. You have to want to do that. You can't, like, you can't fake it. You know, it has to be authentic. Ministry has to be authentic. Mm -hmm. It's either, it's not what you do, it's who you are. And that's kind of how I see ministry. Whereas, like, when I first started, I didn't really realize that. That was something that I learned being in ministry. But... It's not, it's, it's, it's awesome. Everywhere you go, a Starbucks, a grocery store, the mall, it doesn't matter. You have opportunities to talk to somebody about Jesus. And you don't even have to trust, like, you can just, like, just the way you act, the way you treat them, the way you love them, that's all it takes. You don't have to do backflips theologically. You don't have to preach. You don't, they don't have to do everything. None of that. And if you build a relationship with them, that is what you it's all about relationships. Right. It's a good observation. All right. all right, let's pray and we'll wrap it up. Father, I thank you again for this uh, this moment, and uh, Father, thank you for um, thank you for sending us your Spirit and doing everything that you said that you've done with your Spirit. Uh, it is it is an immense honor be your child. And, uh, Father, I just pray that as uh, we consider, uh, we consider even this event, Father, we, we're in Malibu, 45 minutes outside of Los Angeles. There's a little bitty road that gets here. It's, uh, in so many ways, this place is, um, is away from the world. We're out, we, we, we stand and we stand upon academia. Um, uh, this is a, a week away from our, our real lives. And uh, as, as important as that is to, to get close to you, uh, that help us to know that uh, there is beauty and your, and your wonder uh, and glorious things to see at work schools and our neighborhoods and that the beauty of creation uh, as great as it is should be seen in the eyes and the and in the form of our of, of the people that are around us God help us to help us to love everything you've created not just the things that are pretty um, help us to, to love our neighbors and to care. And uh, Father, we offer this day and this opportunity to, uh, to to be mindful of your Spirit's work. And how would you just empower us as we go back down the mountain and into real life again? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.